today, week number two, we're going to continue the series Rooted in Purpose, I'm Invested. And for some people today, this is going to be a generosity message. We're going to talk about what it looks like to be invested in the kingdom of God and in the church with our finances. For some people today, this is going to be a servant message. We're going to talk about what it looks like to be invested in the kingdom of God and in the church with a servant attitude. For some people today, this is going to be a faithfulness message, if you could see where I'm going with this. We're going to ask the question, what does it truly look like for us as Christ followers to be invested in the kingdom of God and to be invested in the local church? author, pastor, and now president of a nonprofit, Eugene Cho has his first book, and he he asks this question, are Christians more in love with the idea of being a Christ follower than actually being a Christ follower? And then he goes on a series of questions. Are Christians more in love with the idea of being generous more than actually being generous? Or are Christians more in love with the idea of serving and giving of our time than actually serving and giving of our time? And friends, here's the reality. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and Christians for centuries have struggled with that dichotomy and with that mindset. And why it's so important for us as the church, specifically just speaking to Crossbridge today, but then if you're watching online, perhaps across the country as well, what does it look like for us to not just be in love with the idea of being invested in the church and in the kingdom of God, but actually being invested in the church and in the kingdom of God? So will you pray with me as we open up our hearts for today's message? Hey, God, thank you so much for this space. Thank you, God, that we are able to connect and we are able to meet in person and that we're able to worship and celebrate and sing and cry out to you, God, regardless of what this week has looked like. Perhaps it's been an emotional, exhausting, or perhaps as parents have sent their kids back to school, their summer vacation has felt like it started And just been able to breathe again as we get back into a routine as August kicks off. God, I just pray that you would silence our thoughts. Eliminate the distractions. Open our hearts. Settle our pride. Give us the spirit through the fruit of the spirit of gentleness. And that, God, we would receive what you have for us today. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm invested. What does it look like for us as Christ followers to not just be in love with the idea of being invested in the kingdom of God or in the local church, but to actually be invested in the kingdom of God and the local church? I want you to turn with me either via the screen or on your phone or through the physical Bible. It's Matthew chapter 23. We're going to be walking through this entire chapter today. It's 39 verses. It's a doozy. We're going to be stopping throughout the way, breaking down. But here's the point of today's message, is I want us to see how Jesus is walking with the Pharisees in their thinking about how they're living. Because something that Jesus was notorious for was calling out Pharisaical leaders, individuals who were so addicted to following the law that it shut out everybody else. 
that for them, the law came above the person. And we're going to see that through these texts. You almost see Jesus, actually you don't almost see, you see Jesus as he's speaking verse by verse by verse throughout this chapter, and toward the end of his life, right before he's arrested and crucified, is righteously angry. With who? Religious leaders who are more in love with the idea of following God than actually following God. And so turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. This is what Jesus says. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. I want to stop there for just a second. Friends, we don't just do this with our religion. We do this with our politics. We do this with our relationships. We do this with our ethics, with our morals. We are very good at talking and speaking and preaching and sharing and posting on social media about injustices or about things that we believe politically or things that we believe religiously. But then when it actually comes to supporting organizations or agencies or being the hands and feet of Jesus, Jesus, we realize that we are more in love with the idea of those things than actually those things. And this happens on both sides of the aisle. Politically, all different religions struggle with this. Because it's easy to post on Facebook and to click send and feel good about ourselves. I mean, think about the last X amount of presidential elections. How many promises the presidents from both sides of the aisle of candidates have promised things that they're going to do? And where are we now? Where were we three years ago? Where were we 10 years ago? Friends, the same is true with our church leaders and with Christians. Some of us may have a heart for these things, which is good. That's probably the first step is being passionate what is Jesus calling out the Pharisees? Again, going back to this verse, verses 3 and 4. Why does he tell them, do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. This is my fear with the church today is that we are doing the exact same thing with the next generation. And we're doing the exact same thing with previous generations. I just sent a study to Brad and and Bruce this last week from Barna um, that says uh, it it was looking through volunteer hours and service hours, and 55% of Gen Zers have volunteered in the last three months. Only 20% of baby boomers have volunteered in the last three months. And you might be like, oh, that's a shot at boomers. Well, if you flipped it and looked at generosity from a financial standpoint, the, uh, the opposite is true, where baby boomers and uh, silent generation tend to be our more generous, financially speaking, generations, while Gen Z and millennials tend to be our least generous. 
And in so many ways, we get frustrated with the other generations of why aren't you volunteering? Why aren't you serving? Why aren't you giving? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? And as a church, we all have to be invested in every single area of our lives. Or else we're just more in love with the idea of what we're passionate about rather than actually being passionate about it. So many of us are preaching and posting and sharing but when it comes down to it, how are we invested in the church and in the kingdom of God? Crossbridge is no stranger to those mindsets. We still have 30% of the people doing 70% of the volunteer work. We still have 30% of the people blessing financially 70% of our budget. We still have 30% of the people meeting and faithfully showing up and serving and the list goes on and on and on. I fear that too many of us, not just in our church, but in the church, are half the time really good Sunday Christians. But then when Jesus gets upset with us about something that we're doing, hey, Jordan, you were a little too prideful there. Hey, Jordan, your finances, not being a very good steward there. Hey, Jordan, what about your volunteer hours? What about your service? And here's the reality. It would be hypocritical, actually, if you've got your physical Bible with you or even your U version. The title of chapter 23 is titled, A Warning Against Hypocrisy. We're only in verse 5, and this could be the entire message, these two verses. Because Jesus is so passionate about making sure his followers aren't just in love with the idea of being invested, but actually invested. And so he's calling out the hypocrisy. And if I were to stand up here and say, yep, I'm just calling out the hypocrisy, but not doing it myself, then that would be what? Hypocrisy. And so that's something Brad has been so passionate about as leading our staff is saying, you know what, I expect my staff members to volunteer the amount of hours at either to their church or nonprofits or other organizations that we expect from our volunteers. And so as staff members, if we are to expect our team to be here early on Sunday mornings, then we have to put in that same amount of effort either throughout the week at different functions of the church or organizations. That's why I volunteer for youth group. That's why I volunteer for C3 Sports. Plus my wife is now the C3 Sports Director. <laughs> that has nothing to do with it. Though I am now coaching a soccer team for the first time in 10 years, but it has nothing to do with it. And our other staff, again, we have this standard of our staff and our elders that if you are going to work here and lead here as our elders, then we have the standard that you are going to give a portion of your paycheck back to God generously. That all of our staff and elders follow. Friends, I don't share this to say, look at us. I share this to say that we are committed to this message, that if we're going to ask you to serve more or to give more or to be more faithful, to show up more consistently on Sundays, to pray more, to read your Bible more, it sounds like a lot of mores. But that's because the life of Jesus is a life of sacrifice. And if we as the church are going to reach Generation Alpha right around 10 to 12-year-olds right now, again, isn't it crazy that Generation Z is like, 18 to 25 year olds 10 years ago we were preaching how are we going to reach the next generation of gen z now gen z are the leaders of the church now we're looking at generation alpha 
But the church will not exist if we are in love with the idea of the church. The church will only, in America, continue to exist if we are invested in the church. And as a byproduct, we become invested in the kingdom of God. Let's move on because we're only on verse 5. I've already spent 10 minutes on this message, and we have 34 verses to go. Verse 6. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. Verse 8. Jesus is talking now to the crowd. But you are not called to be rabbi. For you have one teacher. And you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father. For you have one father. And he is in heaven. Nor are you called to be instructors. For you have one instructor, the Messiah. And then verses 11 and 12 are so powerful. Don't miss this. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's my hope for this message as you're hearing these words, is that this isn't, this isn't aggressive and it's not an attack. It's calling us to be the church. And it's the consistent message that we see from Jesus at the start of Matthew's gospel to the end of Matthew's gospel. We're toward the end right here. But actually, if we were to go back just 20 chapters before Matthew chapter 5, known as the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is uh, beginning part of his public ministry to his disciples and to the church, and he's talking to the crowds, he goes through this list of what's known as the Beatitudes, what it looks like to be blessed. This isn't going to be on the screen. This is a curveball, but let me just read some of these, okay? Uh, uh, chapter 5. Look at what Jesus says looks like being blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the ones who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who receive insults. Why? And then he goes on later to say, because you are the salt of the earth. We're kingdom builders. And for whatever reason in our 2023 mindset, whenever we receive a raise at work or we get a new car or we have this nice new house, we say, we're so blessed. But the story of the gospel is that less is blessed. Sacrifice is nice. <laughs> I was like, how can I rhyme this on the spot? God is so passionate about the least of these. That's why Matthew 25, 40 says, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. Are we more in love with the idea of the church than actually being the church. Go back with me now to Matthew chapter 23, verse 13. We enter now into seven, what scripture calls the seven woes. And it just keeps getting spicier. Verse 13, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. What a slap to the face from Jesus. But too many of us live the same way. You yourselves do not enter, 
nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. That's encouraging. (laughs) Verse 16, woe to you, blind guides. You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? And and friends, I believe that perhaps Jesus is using a play on words here. If you remember, Jesus, actually Paul goes on to say that our bodies are the temple of God, the new bodies of the temple. And so many of us, and the Pharisees dealt with this too, believe that the size of our gifts or the size of our house again, or the size of our cars, or the type of what we have, how many, how many children we have, or how, how our lives look, that, that's what makes us blessed. But what does Jesus say? Jesus say it is not the gold that is beautiful. And it's not the gold that is sacred. It's the temple. So perhaps Jesus here is saying, if our body is the temple, that it's all about the heart. And that, again, if you're more in love with the idea of giving gold than actually giving gold, what does that say about your temple? Verse 18. You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men. Which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? The same message again. Verse 20, therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and the one who dwells in it. Verse 22, and anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Stop there for just a second. What is Jesus saying? If you're going to say you're a Christian, then you need to be a Christian. You need to be invested. You need to pour your heart out, your finances out, your sacrifice out, your volunteerism out. You need to be passionate about the things that Jesus is passionate about. Why? Because that's what it looks like to be rooted in purpose. If you remember, there's been multiple times where we've defined the difference between purpose and calling. Purpose is love God, love people, and live our life glorifying God's kingdom. Everybody has the same purpose. That's why you were created. That is your why. Your calling is what makes that purpose unique. What you do with your why. Some of us are really good at loving God. Some of us are really good at loving people. Some of us are really bad at using our life to glorify God. Some of us are really good at loving people and really good at living our life glorifying God. We're not loving God. And you could just piece those all together. That's what Jesus is saying in those last few verses. And then we get to the banger of Matthew chapter 23. Really the whole point of this entire message. Verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. 
you give a tenth of your spices, or the, the, the Greek word there is tithe, which literally means 10%. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But then he goes on. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. What an insult. But go back to that verse. Sometimes we hear people say, well, the New Testament just doesn't talk about tithing at church. And friends, that's just not true. Jesus says right here, as Christ followers, we are called to give 10% and not neglect the justice, the faithfulness, and the mercy. And as a young leader who holds a traditional view of finances, it's not a popular opinion. Most people my age and younger want nothing to do with tithing back to God. And I recognize that I'm in a weird position. But Marissa and I, and this is part of why as leaders we have, we live where we do, in the house that we do, we drive what we do. We're very frugal with our money and we get made fun of for it because generosity and we believe wholeheartedly that God expects this from us. To give back to God. Now, here's what's important. This does not mean that all of you need to go home and then give your 10% of your finances and your service to Crossbridge Community Church. (laughs) That's where I think churches and pastors miss the mark. And here's the reality, friends. And, and, and someone explained this to me this last week. Televangelists in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s really messed this up for the church. Give us your money and you'll have prosperity. As they buy $40 million airplane jets to fly across the world. And so it makes sense perhaps why the younger generation is so skeptical of the church. Because the church has mishandled funds and mishandled abuse cases and mishandled uh, staff positions and mishandled how we treat the least of these for generations. But it doesn't have to be that way. And so perhaps you're sitting there and you're like, okay, well, what makes Crossbridge different? One, we still make mistakes. That's true. Perhaps we spent money on things that later down the road were like, probably didn't need that. But when you do give to Crossbridge, it goes towards staff budgets. Thank you for putting meals on my table. (laughs) I have so many friends who think, do you just work on Sundays? I'm like, no, I volunteer then too. (laughs) When you give to Crossbridge, besides staff positions, it, 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 it covers the utilities, the cost of the upkeep of the land. It goes into our benevolence fund. And we were asked this question a couple years ago at one of our budget meetings or at one of our business meetings, like, what does Crossbridge give back? And it got us thinking, you're right, where's our 10% of our budget going? So that's last year why we kicked off the Be Rich campaign. We gave $45,000 away to an organization on top of what we already give away to families who are hurting within the church. We don't always give it right. And if you're interested in the line-by-line item, because I know that we are understandably skeptical of how the church spends money, email michael at c3fw.org and he'll send you our budget. (laughs) And you can see line by line how it's broken down. But we try to be good stewards. And here's what I want you to know, and this is still true. 
probably eight of our top 10 givers come from staff and elders at the church. Eight of our top 10. Maybe that number seven. But the majority of our top 10 givers, we believe in Crossbridge. But, like I said, it's not just go home and then start giving or go home and start serving. What Jesus is saying here is if you are invested in the church, then be invested in the church, period. And so maybe your service and your generosity is broken up at other organizations, and that's great. My challenge here, though, is that we be invested. We can't just come here on Sundays, sit around, and enjoy the message and the worship. Why? Because people's lives are impacted by the ministries that the hands and feet of Jesus are doing. I've got 16 more verses in five minutes, and so we're going to stop at verse 24, and I'm just going to give us a challenge today. Because Jesus continues to just go on and on and on and talks about what does it look like for us to truly be invested in the church, but also the kingdom of God. And friends, it's as simple as this. If you are a Christ follower, you're called to give. I have my own opinions on what I think that means. I see in scripture that we're called to tithe, that we're called to serve, that we're called to volunteer. I see individuals in scripture who sacrifice above and beyond even when they're living in poverty. I think a lot of times when it comes to generosity though, because of how we spend money in other places, that is what impacts our ability to give. I also see this true with serving and volunteering. I just don't have time. And again, when you look at how we spend time in other places, that is impacting our ability to serve. We wonder why we don't have friends or why we aren't engaging in community, but we're only here once a month. And that's impacting our ability to be engaged in the church. Here's your challenge. Like I said at the beginning, today for some of you, this might be a giving message. Some of you are already incredibly generous. For some of you today, this might be a serving message. Some of you today are already incredible servers. For some of you today, this might be a kick in the butt to say, let's get back to church more regularly. Some of you already do that. Whatever this message was for you today, I want to challenge you with this last question to just be thinking about this week. Are you more in love with the idea of fill in the blank than actually being invested in fill in the blank? And if so, I challenge us to change that. Will you pray with me? Hey, God, thank you so much for this church. Thank you, God, for the generosity, for the servitude, for the faithfulness, for the encouragement that these people come day in and day out with. My challenge, God, is for those who perhaps need to stretch themselves in certain areas. And God, you've placed the same challenge on my heart, asking me to ask the question, am I more in love with the idea than actually being invested in the kingdom? And if so, I pray that you would change that. I thank you, God, for your people. And I pray, God, that we would be united as one. In your name I pray.